Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. In 1997, the North Carolina Supreme Court held unanimously in the landmark Leandro case that North Carolina public school students are entitled under the state constitution to the opportunity to receive a sound basic education and therefore it's the state's responsibility to provide it. In November 2017, more than 20 years after the initial ruling, Governor Roy Cooper formed the Governor's Commission on Access to Sound Basic Education in the latest and perhaps most ambitious effort to date to ensure that the state meets its constitutional obligation when it comes to public education. On this week's show, we talk with several key players in that effort, including the Commission Chair, to find out where we are and what's next. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Last week, the state released the latest A to F school performance grades, a system created by the General Assembly in 2012. Critics say the letter grades unfairly stigmatize schools serving high poverty communities where low income students tend to get lower letter grades than schools with more affluent enrollments. The data suggests they may have a point. Among schools where more than 81% of students come from low-income families, 69% of the schools received a D or an F. In schools where the poverty rate is less than 20%, only 1.7% of schools received a D or an F. The General Assembly made improving third grade reading skills a top priority with its Read to Achieve program that introduced a new series of tests along with summer reading programs and mandatory retention for third graders not reading at grade level. Unfortunately, last week's reading test results showed very little improvement. Third grade reading proficiency dropped from 57.8% in 2016-17 to 55.9% in 2018. Since Read to Achieve was created in 2012, third grade reading proficiency has, has actually dropped 5% overall. Finally, a new study is out showing the teacher wage penalty, that is the wage gap between teachers and comparable professionals, is growing nationally. Teachers now earn 18.7% less than other college-educated workers, according to the Economic Policy Institute. They found that the teacher wage penalty has increased significantly, with teachers earning just 1.8% less than comparable workers in 1994. North Carolina teachers, according to the study, has the second highest wage gap in the country with a 35.5% gap compared to other college-educated professionals in the state. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines, as well as other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, the Leandro case has been going on now for more than 20 years. Is this new effort going to help bring a resolution? Our first guest, I think, hopes so, and so they are Brad Wilson. Brad, you are the uh, chair of the Governor's Commission on Access to Sound Basic Education. Some of our viewers may recognize you also as the longtime former now CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. Next to Brad is Melody Chalmers. Melody serves on the commission alongside Brad. She is the principal of E.E. E. Smith High School, a friend of the program, has been on before, and the former North Carolina principal of the year. So thank you both for being here. Thank you. All right, Brad, I'm going to start with you. 
What was the goal? I mean, sort of why was the commission created in the first place? Obviously, you talked to the governor, uh, but I hope you did before he appointed <laughs> you as chair. So what sort of what was the, uh, the thinking behind this new effort? Well, Keith, the answer to that question is really found in your introduction that we were listening to very carefully. The Leandro case is now over 20 years old, and there has been subsequent litigation relevant uh, to this whole topic. And so Governor Cooper, as he came into office and was setting his priorities, believed that now is the time, long past the time, that uh, new emphasis and energy be placed on the Im implementation and the execution of the court order. Uh, and so what our core and central task is, is to help refresh our recollection as well as help uh, refi refine what it is that Leandro means, what does that constitutional language frame out for the state of North Carolina? And then how would we go about as a state actually implementing and executing those things that we need to do here in this state to improve those letter grade scores that you just talked about, for example? Right. Now, Melody, there, it's, an, it's, a, it's an impressive group of folks on the commission, including yourself. But I know that from looking at the list, and I've been to a couple of the meetings, I mean, you're you're on the front lines. I mean, you are a principal right now. You're in, you're in a county, I mean, Cumberland County, which is, which is where I'm from, I mean, it wouldn't be considered, you know, sort of defined as, a, as a, a low wealth county, but it certainly has challenges and issues. So do you sort of, do you feel a part of your role being on this commission is to, I don't know, sort of reality check sort of what's going on? Absolutely, I'm glad to have had the opportunity to bring the practical um, insights into the different um, topics that have been discussed at the previous meetings. Um, our focus on fulfilling the constitutional mandate to make sure that all students have a sound basic education is so important to all persons that work in education. So it's been a privilege as a principal to be able to provide input um, to the commission and also to learn um, so that then we, I can take that information back and share with my colleagues in Cumberland County what we are doing as a state, what this commission is trying to accomplish um, through our commission meetings so that we can make sure that all of our schools have effective teachers, principals, and all of our students have the resources they need to be successful. Well, I'll jump off on the uh, what, what have you learned. Um, you know, I was thinking about it before you came on. You know, you, you were in the healthcare business for a long time and you're now working on this. I mean, there, you don't get much more personal to families and communities than health and education. I mean, what, what have you learned about sort of what's going on across the state in education? Well, the commission, we've met three times. Uh, in fact, we were going to have our fourth meeting uh, this past uh, Thursday, but the weather had gotten away in Hickory. Uh, so we've been very much in a learning mode, and uh, we're continuing to do that as we transition now to acting on that which we, we have learned. But a couple of data points, uh, yet yeah, things are still in flight. But uh, we, we, are, we have learned that, that, for example, the state is funding less than two-thirds of the total funding of our public schools, and counties are now funding close to 25 percent. That's been getting out of uh, balance. Overall per-pupil uh, per expenditure uh, since the recession of 2008 has declined by 10 percent. And if you adjust for inflation, uh, teacher salaries have also fallen, I think, somewhere in the range of 8 percent if you just adjust it in real terms. So we're not here today to declare a lot of data points from which we will take our action, but we are learning a lot. The importance of early childhood education so that children are coming to school healthy and ready to learn. Uh, that is a very, very important subject that our five work groups 
are now focused on and they'll begin to bring some findings and information back to the full commission for our consideration. And we've got some graphics we're going to pull up on the screen there. This is some of this is related to what you just referenced, which is the, the role of the local communities because, um, I mean, you've, I'm sure you've probably seen it in Fayetteville. I mean, there, there are more things that um, the state is relying on your community. I mean, sort, of what are you, sort of what are you seeing in terms of resources and investment? Well, absolutely. We are concerned about having equitable resources across the board that um, schools or communities that are more affluent, um, that those students don't have they may have more resources, but how do we level the playing field? That's a lot of what we've been talking right, no, about. On the, on the screen right now, we've got a chart that was actually from the forums uh, local school financial board that shows sort of the sort of the top wealth of counties and how much they are able to put in. Right, and so that's important to make sure that we address those those issues of equity um, in schools. And so we have we had some presentations at one of our earlier meetings about funding right. and, and the different um, ways that counties are able to supplement or not supplement at the education of students. And so I think that's a very important aspect that, that the commission is attempting to address. Well, let's talk a bit, just to, as we sort of wind down this part of the, of the show, uh, Brad, the General Assembly is, are the ones who allocate funding and are going to make the rules. I mean, are you, you're obviously aware of what's going on with this, the, their, their school finance reform task force. Is it are y'all talking? I mean, is this something that will uh, eventually line up uh, as far as you make some recommendations as a commission, legislature, got to do some things? Well, absolutely. This is, uh, this is a process, and we're still, we're kind of in the middle of it. But the, the role of the commission and what we intend to do is work with all policymakers, executive, legislative, uh, everyone who cares about public education in North Carolina, uh, to bring a common voice and a strong focus about actually moving the needle after 20 years of litigation and making sure that our communities across the state can feel positive impact about not only the work of the commission, but the work of the court-appointed uh, consultant that I think you're going to explore yeah, a little bit more later segment, yeah. uh, through the great work that our educational professionals do. So this is a collaborative effort, and uh, we will be working very closely with all those who care about do, making a difference in public education in North Carolina. Well, I think everybody cares about it. If they don't, they should. But we exactly. appreciate you coming on and explaining a little bit. We're going to continue our conversation next with a little bit more of the specifics about some of the litigation and what may happen next. So thanks so much. Thank you. When we come back, we're going to talk to one of the original plaintiff districts and the lead attorney in the Leandro case to get their take on a possible resolution. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. True or false, according to state law, only 50% of teachers at a charter school must be certified. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank. Serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer true? While all teachers in district or traditional public schools must be certified, state law today only requires that 50% of teachers in a charter school be certified. We're going to continue our discussion on the Governor's Commission on Access to Sound Basic Education and what it may mean. And we have two guests who know a lot about it. Um, Melanie Dubas. Melanie, you are the lead attorney. Uh, you're with Parker Poe, but you're the lead attorney for the plaintiffs in this uh, 
very long case. Um, maybe we're getting to it. I don't know if we're at the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning or something, but we'll find that out. Deborah Dallas, next to you. Deborah, you are the assistant superintendent, Hope County Schools, one of the originals. Um, and so I want to um, ask both of you. I guess first, let me let me ask you first, Melanie. How did this this process with the governor's commission? And I want to make sure we also explain what Judge David Lee, who's overseeing the case now, he has. Um, Basically, the plaintiffs have gotten together and the parties in the lawsuit and is asked to, you know, an outside uh, consultant who's helping. So sort of how did this all come about at this point um, right now? Right. So as you've mentioned and as Brad noted, this case has been going on for a long time. We've been in the remedial phase of the state of the case for a, a while, which is how is the state going to address the constitutional deficiencies that Judge Manning originally found and that the Supreme Court upheld. And after a number of years, the parties have come to realize that, and interestingly, Judge Manning wrote this in his final trial decision, they've come to realize that one of the reasons that children are not uniformly being provided the opportunity for a sound basic education is the lack of a coordinated statewide educational effort to address the needs of at-risk children. And Judge Manning saw that back in the early 2000s, and we've come to realize that it's that statewide, coordinated, comprehensive remedy that's ultimately going to you know, bring to bear the, the fruits of, of this case. And so, because really what, what's been happening over the years with, with Judge Manning was, it wasn't so much putting a plan together, it was really the state kept coming in and saying, we're doing it, right? I mean, wasn't that part, I mean, it really wasn't creating a plan, it was really trying to prove that we didn't need one. Correct. <laughs> it, it, was, it was the state coming in and, and showing the efforts that the state had put into place. And in all fairness, we did make some progress sure. in the early 2000s and up until the recession um, in terms of uh, reducing class size, increasing early childhood education, uh, teacher recruitment and retention. But since 2008, we, we have made declines as your statistics and, and test scores have, have right. shown. Well, Deborah, I want to talk about Hoke County Schools. I know Hoke County Schools. I know your superintendent well. Hoke's one of the, uh, really of all the districts I would say has done as much as they can do yeah. with what you've got, mm -hmm. but it's, it's not enough. And I, and I do want to get into this question about resources too, because that's, um, but, but tell me what's, what is sort of, what are you seeing in Hoke County sort of from the original suit to sort of where we are now in 2018? You know, we're really proud of the accomplishments that we've had over the years. As Melanie noted, we've had, we have made progress. Um, you know, we do a great job with our public-private partnerships. You know, we can say that 100% of our schools have shown or met or exceeded growth on their reading scores. Um, but at the end of the day, we are still experiencing a lot of the same challenges that were brought forth in that original case. Um, due to the, even though we're taxed at a higher rate, we, we just don't have the ability to generate the revenue. Um, so our per pupil expenditure does remain in the bottom five. So we have a hard time with the resources providing our students for what they need and, and they deserve. And what does that look like? When, when we talk about, look, I, I, sometimes I hear folks, they, they, they thought they get tired of hearing education advocates saying we need more money. Right, but right. per pupil spending, mm -hmm. bottom five, what does that show up like? in a classroom and in the school. Right, well, without that funding, we have a hard time making sure that we have technology in our students' hands, which is extremely important now. 
um, even professional learning for our teachers and our principals, um, making sure that our students who are at risk have those intervention services, that's additional personnel, um, it's support teams for our at-risk students in special ed. So it really, it, it takes away that ability to have that coordinated system in a school to provide for those students. Right. Now, uh, Melanie, the and I think from our viewers, we've got some, we've got some very sophisticated viewers that yeah. know these things. But the, the, the key elements of the, the court ruling is that we need a, you know, a competent certified teacher in every classroom, a, a competent, effective leader, adequate resources. Are those still the same, really sort of key three legs of the stool? Th those are still the same three legs of the stool. And, and Judge Manning also talked about a fourth leg of the stool, if you will, and that is an accountability system to measure whether we're making progress in those other three areas. And so those are the three areas that the court-appointed expert, the expert who's going to advise the court on what a statewide coordinated plan looks like, those are the three areas that the consultants are focusing on, and those are the areas that the Governor's Commission are, is focusing on as well. All right, well, you're an attorney. I got a, look, I got a question for you. Let, 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 let's let's, let's um, fast forward ahead. All right. The plaintiffs agree on a plan, yep. you've got a plan, you take it to the governor's commission, the commission endorses it and says, this is what we need. We are missing this, this, and this, and so the state needs to do this. So what? I mean, does, if there is a court judgment, is there a remedy? Is there a enforcement mechanism the way our state is set up? I mean, the court can't fund schools, for example. That's right, but the court can interpret the Constitution and what our state Supreme Court has said is that the court can impose a remedy after giving the executive and the legislative branches due time to come up with a remedy. If they don't, the court itself can order a remedy. And I think Judge Lee is looking to the expert consultants that, that he's retained. He's looking to the commission to advise him as to what that remedy will look like. And I would echo what Brad said, though, in terms of all of the branches of government and the litigants coordinating towards this effort. I think what we will end up with is a very comprehensive and research-based plan forward. And my hope is, as Brad said, all those who care about education will come together and get on board to implement that plan. Last word from you, Deborah. What do you want to see? What do you want to see for your students in Hope County? You know, we want to see that they truly have access to that basic sound education. We want to make sure that our students have the same resources that students in wealthier districts would have. We want them to be on that equal playing field. We want them to have opportunity. We want them to have those extended learning opportunities. We want them to have what, what their right is. We want them to have what every other child should have. Yeah, and growing up, and I have I have people in Eastern North Carolina and, I'm, and where I grew up, I mean, it's the things you're talking about, it's almost like the things you don't see, right? It's mm -hmm. like, you, you, and sometimes you don't even know, maybe a family doesn't recognize right. how much more should, should be available, right? right? And I think the worrying thing is that the gap between the higher wealth districts and the lower wealth, it, it's widening. Right. You know, so that's why we see this as a turning point, not only in just the case, but for public education for all students, including those students from, from low wealth areas. Right. This is their opportunity. Well, I mean, I, this, is a, this is important. And, um, you know, I appreciate uh, the, the work that you're doing trying to move it forward and also okay. to explain it. We're going to watch the next steps with the uh, commission and see what happens. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight.
Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight a great program and effort, Go Global NC. Leadership Spotlight is brought to you by Participate, where we believe every student deserves equitable access to quality education. What we want to do is help North Carolinians reap the benefits of global engagement and mitigate some of those challenges of globalization. So to be um, culturally competent and to have that idea of how you can um, interact with the rest of the world is just critical. We do that through a number of different kinds of programs and events. Those programs are programs that incorporate both study here in North Carolina as well as an international immersion experience. We have an eighth grade science teacher. She traveled with us to Germany and one of the things that she was so impressed by there was the commitment by schools, towns, communities to sustainability. And so she came back and she um, gave them a research assignment. They could develop some sustainability plans for the town of Cary that would improve life. And the top presenters actually got to present their plans to council members. Another teacher is a visual arts teacher and she went to South Africa and she got very excited by this idea of the comparison between civil rights movements. And she came back and wrote a play. She got some artists in residence to come in, musicians who taught some of the students drumming. They just involved the whole community in this play that they presented a number of different times, and they used the proceeds to benefit the United Way in Chatham County as well as a South African charity. We had a high school math teacher who traveled with us, and one of the things that struck him as a challenge that happens around the world is about access to upper-level math. Students in North Carolina and around the world have questions about these challenging math problems and they don't really understand them. So he created a YouTube channel called ABSS Math Help and he invited people um, to send questions in about math problems that they didn't understand. And his students would solve the math problems on video and so far they've had people from 55 different countries who are able to access this. Teachers come back and they excite their um, kids learning about the global community. They find ways to take students abroad. They in integrate it in their classes. They create new global classes and international classes. They encourage their kids to take world languages. Just so many different ways that they get kids excited about learning about the world and about the opportunities that are out there for them. If you know someone that deserves to be recognized, please visit our website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. It has been 21 years since the North Carolina Supreme Court ruled that the state was responsible for providing every child access to a sound basic education. Subsequent rulings defined what that means. I mentioned this earlier, a well-trained, competent teacher in every classroom, a well-trained, competent principal in every school, and enough resources so that every child, every child has an equal opportunity for education. Throughout the process, the state has presented data and plans to demonstrate it as meeting its obligation. And time after time, the judges have disagreed. First, Judge Howard Manning, and most recently, Judge David Lee, who wrote in May of this year that the state board has failed to present convincing evidence that North Carolina is moving closer to providing students with their fundamental rights guaranteed in the state constitution. 
So why are we still here 21 years later when it's been abundantly clear for years that too many children are being denied this constitutional right? We know too many local school systems are underfunded and understaffed to meet their students' need, a situation that is most acutely true in our poor, poor and rural parts of our state. The General Assembly created a special task force last year to look at overhauling how schools are funded, but incredibly said it will not look at the adequacy or equity of the funding, only the process. What is the point? to create a more efficient way to run the same system that is failing too many children? Perhaps the effort that we discussed today on the show may point a way toward a better solution for North Carolina and for our students. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching and make sure you tune in next week for new shows of Education Matters. <laughs>